All right, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 18, Genesis 18. Bradley and Nova will be getting married Friday, heading on their honeymoon Saturday, coming back next week for a couple days and headed back to Florida for the next year or so. I'm sure they'll pop up every now and then, but uh, pray, pray for them this, these next couple weeks. Uh, Genesis chapter 18 is where we're going to pick up. We're going through the patriarchs. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, we're still talking about Abraham. We haven't got to Isaac yet, but we're getting close to, to getting to Isaac. Um, now, last week, we had three men show up to Abraham's tent. Him and Sarah were in there, and the, these three men let them know that they were going to have a son. Now, he had heard this. Abraham had been told this a couple times, but that son, was uh, he had tried other ways. He had tried doing things the wrong way. Uh, but God was still going to be faithful to his promise. So it's interesting there, both of them, Abraham and Sarah, when they found out that they were going to uh, have a baby they, at the ages of 100, and he was 99, and she was uh, about, uh, about 89. When she found out that they were going to have a baby, uh, of course, they both laughed. You know, most of us would have laughed or cried, <laughs> one of the two. Uh, but this time, they had heard this before, but this time the Lord included more detail, and he finally gave them a timeline. He said, by this time next year you will have a son, and his name is going to be Isaac. Now, uh, after this, the three men that were there rose up to leave. Now, we know that two of the men were angels. The other one was the Lord. Uh, so it was a Christophany. It was a, a, a picture. It was Jesus here in human form uh, being revealed to man, although um, not, not human at that point, but in human form. And same thing with the angels. Now, in chapter 18, now we're going to pick up with verse 16. We left off with verse 15 last week where Sarah denied, saying, I left not, but for she was afraid. And he said, the angel said, or, uh, the, uh, the angel said, the Lord said, uh, nay, but thou didst laugh. There we go. I found my spot. Now, verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abram, Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. First, we're going to look at is God's plan for judgment here. We're going to cover a lot of verses tonight, but I want to get this whole story in tonight. Uh, God had a plan for judgment. He looks up, the men rose up, and they looked toward Sodom. Now we know these are the, the, the angels and the Lord that, uh, that come. Now here, the men r- rose up, and they come, they, be- they begin to head out looking. Now Abraham walks them out. This is being a good, uh, a good host. He was walking them out, and oftentimes, they say in those days, when somebody was a guest, the, the, uh, the host would get up, and he would walk them to the city edge, or he'd walk them partway to their next destination. Uh, now the Lord asked a question in verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And then he continues in verse 18, Seeing that Abraham shall surely be, become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So he asked this question. He said, Should I tell Abraham what I'm doing? Now, um, the Lord knows that he's, he's asking a question, but who's he asking it of? He's asking it really of himself. Not because he wasn't sure, but this is just one of those ways that God reveals to us how he thinks or what his thoughts were at this particular case. And so sometimes it's really just to get us thinking, but he says, should I tell him? The Lord asks the question, and then he reveals the reasons that he chose to bring Abraham into the loop. Now I'm going to tell Abraham why, what my plans are for Sodom, what the plans are for Gomorrah. And, but he says, the reason I'm going to tell him is because Abraham's going to have a great nation come from his seed, 
And so he says, because of that, I'm going to prepare him for this. I'm going to prepare him, and I'm going to also probably possibly warn him a bit. Uh, and so the purpose here wasn't just God saying, hey, you know what? I just thought I'd tell you what's going on. But there was a purpose behind what God was doing. Now, in verse number 20, verse 19, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So the God says, I'm going to tell him, because he's going to tell his children, he's going to teach his children. Those that come after him are going to be taught righteousness, they're going to be taught judgment, they're going to be taught justice. Now, um, and he says, also because I'm going to bring from him what I have said. So God's going to honor his promises. But then in verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and, whether, and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So here, this is, this is interesting because... He says in verse number 20 that, that the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up against him. Now, it's a bit vague. What does that mean? Uh, some might say that the, the, uh, that the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is a cry, literally, the, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah is crying out. That it's so wicked that God hears it. Now, um, I, I, I looked at, to see what other people thought. And other people, uh, some would say this is a cry against Sodom and Gomorrah, um, that others had cried against him. Let me give you, Robert Young is known for his literal translations of Scripture, and he said this, here's his literal, if you take the Hebrew and you translate it as literally as possible, and there is no such thing as a word-for-word translation out of the Hebrew, out of the Greek, but it's a literal translation, meaning this is, exa- this is exactly what the words say. And it says this, The cry of Sodom and Gomorrah, because great, and their sin, because exceeding grievous. All right, so we're not told necessarily who the cry is from, whether it is the the wickedness that's crying, whether it is those that are crying against it. But it may be that the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah cries out, but it also may be from verse 21 where he tells us, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And so from verse 20, verse 21, it's hard to say where did the cry come from. But it's very possible that it was others had cried unto God and said, God, do you see how wicked they are? Um, but I honestly don't have the answer to where the cry came from. Now, maybe uh, the Lord then, it says, he goes down to see if it was true. Now, we know the Lord's omnipotent. Uh, he's, he knows everything. He's omnipresent. So he, he's everywhere. But the Bible says here that the Lord went down to see if it was true. He would go down in human form. Now, we, we see in verse 22 that the two men, the, the angels, they turned their faces away, but the Bible says that Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And so as they began to walk towards Sodom, Abraham comes in, and he says in verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Uh, are you going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? That's what I thought of when I read that. Um, and we all, especially if you're older, you know that that's saying, you're going to throw the baby, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so Abraham says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And so in verses 24 through 33, what we have is Abraham's intercession, intercessory prayer. This is amazing. It works. We ought to, we ought to be exercising it more, interceding on the behalf of someone. 
Intercessory prayer, you know, we're praying for Rhonda, but we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is this person is away from God, and so on their behalf, I'm coming begging God that he would have mercy on them, that he would turn them. And so that's what we see here in verse 24. As it reads, peradventure, he says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? Are you going to take away their place? Are you going to take away their land? If there's 50 righteous people there, is that what you're going to do? In verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, uh, that, that be far from thee. Shalt thou not judge of all the earth do right? And so Abraham's going, hey, you're, you're the judge of the earth. You're righteous. I, think, I don't think you should do that. Now, we'll get to that a little bit more. But the Lord said, I, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the places, all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, but, uh, which am but dust and ashes. Who am I to speak to God? I'm just dust and ashes. But, he says, peradventure there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for a lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake, Abraham spake yet against, again to him, and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he, the Lord, said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall, be, there sh- there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now, this is like a really annoying kid, right? Uh, and he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. Boy, the Lord is much more patient than I am. That is for sure. Uh, verse 32, and he said, Oh, let the Lord not be angry. Let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. And as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Abraham exercises what we call intercession. He appeals to the righteousness of God. Would, would God judge the righteous and the wicked the same way? Well, the question then is, what is the criteria for righteous and wicked? Um, we know that there is none righteous, no, not one, according to Romans 13. So the answer could be that there are none righteous. So is the Lord just playing a game? Yeah, okay, I won't destroy it. Because in the Lord's mind, he knows there's none righteous, no, not one. So I'm not going to, sure, okay, fine. You can, if you find one, there's just not one there. Is that what he's saying? Well, it also could be by definition that righteous means that they were maintaining a right living and just in their actions. A third option and I think the likely option is that there were people that were believers and followers of the one true God, although backslidden believers. I've heard somebody say there's no such thing as a backslidden believer. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I believe there are backslidden believers. I just don't believe you can remain that way very long. So God would have been righteous to destroy everyone in that city, wouldn't he? I mean, if God chose to, if he was in his righteousness, he de- we deserve, all of us deserve to be destroyed. It is God's grace that has made him long-suffering, and it's his grace that sent Jesus to die on the cross so that he doesn't have to destroy 
us, and we don't have to be separated from him for an eternity. So Abraham appeals to the Lord on behalf of all the city. That's intercession. Now, if you notice, he could have asked God, can you just spare Lot and my, uh, Lot's wife and my nieces? Can you just spare them and their family? Maybe they're close friends. But he didn't do that. He, he, uh, he appealed on behalf of the whole city. But, listen, it was the righteous that were the basis for his appeal. So his appeal was not, they don't deserve it. As a just God, you can't destroy people. We know as a just God, that's what we des- with a just God, that's what we deserve. But he appeals based on the righteous people. We know that one wicked person can have a dramatically negative effect on a group of people. We see that with Achan. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But we also know that God may bless many for the sake of a few. And, and I'm thankful for that, that God will say, you know what, because of that person, because of those people, I'm going to withhold my, my judgment. I'm going to withhold my, my wrath because of them. So Abraham then begins the sequence of lowering the minimum requirement. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And he comes down and he probably should have gone a little further. Uh, but God knew what he was doing. Now, we come to chapter 19. And here we see a search for the righteous people. And there came, verse number 1, And there came two angels to Sodom and at even. And Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. That's an interesting point. We're going to come back to that. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he, Lot, pressed them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake the unleavened bread and they did eat. So here he's sitting at the gate. That's the role of an elder or a leader in the city. We'll come back to that. And it might be assumed that Lot saw these people, that he saw these men and he knew that they were angels. However, I don't necessarily think he did. I think he saw them and he said, hey, listen, I want you to come in and do, do your thing. Uh, come get fed and watered and we'll send you back out tomorrow. Um, now, we might... We might think, okay, why is he showing such hospitality? Well, I think, first of all, it was customary for righteous people to show such hospitality. Abraham did it. The Bible, if you go to the book of Job, Job did it. Um, And it was customary long beyond this time. And so I don't think that Lot knew that they were angels. I don't know that for sure, but I just don't think he did. But this, listen, I, I think what we see here is the angels are looking for righteous people in the city. Now, obviously, they know who Lot is. They went right to his house. But Lot's behavior and his welcoming of these people that he didn't know, just travelers is what what I think that he thought they were, that showed his righteousness. Righteous people welcome people. Righteous people, uh, especially in that day, were hospitable to people. Why is that? Isn't that one of the qualifications for for a pastor? That he's given the hospitality? Why? Because that's a picture, that's a sign of righteousness to be hospitable to other people. Um. So the other men in the city would prove that they're not. And we're going to see that here in a moment. Let's look at verse 8, or verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. All over the city, people came in. And they came to his door. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now, I know we've got kids in here, so I'm not going to go into that, but you know what that means. 
bring them out so that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And said, I pray you, brethren. So he goes out. He, he, goes, he opens the door. They're saying, let them out. He shuts the door. He goes out there. He faces the crowd and says, I pray you, brethren, do not sow wickedly. Right? So this is good. He's standing up. He's saying, no, this is not. He, I don't even think, again, I don't think he even knows these are angels. But then he comes to verse 8. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Here Lot makes an effort to protect these two foreign travelers. But the compromise of Lot has brought him to a heartbreaking dilemma. He offers his pure daughters as a substitute to the wicked sodomy that the men of the city desired. These are two terrible choices. Historians say that in some of the ancient cultures, the safety of a visitor, of a guest, was more important than his own family, especially when it came to girls and came to women. But if Lot had not compromised, he wouldn't be in this position. In verse 9, it continues, it says, And they said, Stand back. And they said it again. This one fellow came into sojourn. He, he will needs be a judge. So they're talking about Lot here, okay? So they're lashing back at Lot. This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they came, pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. So they turned their attention to Lot, to abuse Lot. Verse 10, but the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they, they weary themselves to find the door. So you know the picture. You know what's going on here. And it's interesting that there were people small and great. There were young people, there were old people. This had become so wicked of a city that they encouraged the young people to be a part of it. That is what we are seeing in our nation. This is what we are seeing in the public schools. This is what we're seeing on TV. This is what we're seeing on the Internet. This is what we're seeing everywhere. The young and the old, the small and the great. I've heard people say, if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. God doesn't owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. We are just simply blessed that God is being gracious to us and long-suffering to us right now. So the angels, in verse 9, it says that the men of the city mocked him as someone who thinks he's a judge. Oh, who are you now? You come into our city and now you're going to judge us? Listen, the wicked are not concerned with the moral stand of the compromising Christian. You can't live your life like you want in every other way and then stand against abortion and expect people to respect you. You can't live your life the way you want in every other way and then stand against what they're doing to our children in our nation and expect people to take you seriously. They are not impressed. They are not concerned they're, to you, you're just, to them, they're just a hypocrite and they're right. So maybe now, at this point, when there's the people outside are struck with blindness, maybe now Lot finally realizes that these are not just ordinary men. 
Verse number 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? You got any other ones in there? That, 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 this is... Uh, this is the men. This isn't the men outside. This is the the uh, the uh, angels, son-in-law, and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So he, he goes, he says, he's not only mocked by the men of his city, he's now mocked by his sons-in-law. Now according to verse 8, his daughters had not known a man. That's because they were in the betrothal period. They, were, they had been betrothed, they were legally bound, but they, the marriage had not been consummated. That wouldn't happen until the wedding. So these sons-in-law, these ones who were legally his sons-in-law, were convinced, they were not convinced by Lot's testimony. In fact, it says there in verse 14, but seemed as one that mocked on his sons. They thought he was kidding. They, wouldn't, they didn't even take him seriously. Verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, why did he linger? And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and said unto the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Listen, I don't even know where I'm at. My notes doesn't matter. So just good luck, Blake. He lingered. Now we, we look at that and we go, well, that's, why, what's wrong with him? God said that he's going to destroy them. This is wickedness. And yet we, as Christians, so many times we live our lives and we linger in sin. We linger in compromise. And what happens? He sends the two angels. There's two angels. That means four hands. There's four people. Each angel grabs one hand of the, the two daughters and of Lot and his wife and they take them out of the city. And that is only by the grace of God. It may be that right now you're living in that grace of God. Now, I'm not talking about the grace of salvation. I'm talking about the grace where God has given us an opportunity. And he's saying, he's grabbing you by the hand. He's grabbing you by the heart saying, you've got to get out of this. You've got to get out of this compromise. This is the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth. They dragged him out of the city. Why wouldn't you get out? Why didn't they get up when destruction was coming? Listen, once a person falls into compromise, letting go of the world is impossible. And it's an impossible bond to break when we don't repent and rely wholly on the power of God. We've heard people say many times, you can't, turning over a new leaf is just going to get turned back over. It takes repentance and it takes relying on the power of God. You say, well, I'm, I'm living in a little bit of sin. I've got a little bit of compromise in my life. Um, I, I've gone that direction. I'm, I'm struggling with some of these things. Uh, I'm struggling with whatever sin it is, but I'm going to get out of it. You're not going to get out of it on your own. You've got to get out of, out of it with repentance, first of all. Seeing your sin as God sees it. And second of all, by relying wholly on the power of God. Falling on your face before Him. Verse 17, And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, 
that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace, if thy servant hath found grace, in thy, or thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed, showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto. And it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have, the angel said unto him, I have accepted thee concerning this thing, that I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything until thou come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar, and the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. The angel told Lot to escape to the mountain, but that worried Lot. He said, I don't know if I'll be able to make it up there. I don't know if I can make it up to that mountain. Listen, if God's going to bring him out of the city and God tells him to go into the mountain, won't God protect him until he gets to the mountain? The angel grants Lot's request, though. That's, again, God's mercy, God's grace. And it promised he wouldn't destroy this small city. And, he, and here's what's interesting. You notice this. I want you, to, I want you to notice here what he says. In verse 22, For I cannot do anything till thou, come, till thou become thither. The angel was restrained from bringing judgment on that city until Lot was out. That's awesome. Because here's what that is. That means that he's not going to accidentally get caught up in the, in the judgment. God knows his. God knows the righteous. And the angel, no destruction was going to come until Lot got out of there. He couldn't do anything to Sodom and Gomorrah until he, till Lot was out and safe. You see, Lot had fallen into great compromise, yet God still knew right where he was. And God protected him. Believer, you're not going to get caught up in the judgment of this earth. Not that you won't suffer some things, not that there won't be an impact because of the sin of our world. But here's, here's the thing. Um, I am so excited that I am a, a pre-tribulational rapture believer. Because I ain't going to be here for all that stuff. When you read the Revelation, you go, man, this is scary. I know, it is. It's, 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 there's things that we don't understand. At least I don't, uh, but I won't be here. Now, what that should do is motivate me to tell other people so they don't have to go through it. But listen, God's not going to lose track of us and go, the rapture came, I forgot about Micah. You know, nobody ever forgets Micah, so he was a bad example. I, 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 don't, I don't have to worry. God is not going to forget. He's, he's not going to allow us to go through what he has protected us from. Verse 23. Uh, verse 24, the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. You know, when I, when I think about that, of course, we think of hellfire and brimstone, right? That's the kind of preaching. That's it's not my personality, okay? I'm not judging that, saying it's a bad thing. It's just not my personality. But, but the Bible teaches us that God's judgment is coming. But here's what I want you to remember. Is that when we, we, want, to, we want God, people want God to rain down hellfire and brimstone upon this world and upon the, all the wicked people. We deserve that just as much 
as the most wicked people in our country, most wicked people in our world. It is only by the grace of God that hellfire and brimstone doesn't rain down upon us. We deserve it. Me and you, I'm not talking we as a nation, but you and I. Verse 24, But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of the furnace. Looking back, this is what we see from Lot's wife. Judgment came, but Lot's wife looked back. You know, whenever I think of Lot's wife, and somebody says something about Lot's wife, immediately my mind goes to looking back. It goes to the pillar of salt. It seems, it, it seems like a ex, extreme punishment for such a simple offense. She, was just, she just looked back. Maybe she was just being curious. Maybe she just wanted to see what does hellfire and brimstone look like. But according to verse 17, she was specifically told not to look back or they would be consumed. So God would not be just if he didn't consume her for that. Secondly, the original language infers much more than a casual glance of curiosity. It means that, it literally means that she looked back to consider. She looked back thinking, have I done the right thing? She looked back thinking, I'm going to miss that place. She looked back considering, did God make a mistake? Man, if Abraham just would have said four people, maybe we would have still have our home. And it, that word could mean that she looked back and actually began to walk back toward the city. Now, I can't say. I don't know if she just was, if they were running away and she just glanced back. I don't know. Or if she turned back and she stopped and looked, or if she actually started walking back, we, we really don't know. But God said, look, leave that behind. Don't look back. Speaking about his second coming, Jesus told the disciples that he would return, and there would be destruction by fire. And in Luke chapter 17, verse 31, Jesus said, In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. He says, listen, if you're up in your house and you've got your stuff, you're not going back downstairs to get it. There's no need. You, that's the stuff of this world. And we, we see the, the jokes about the, 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 the hearse. You never see a hearse uh, pulling a U-Haul. And then I have seen memes of nurses, hearses. Did I say nurse? Hearses. Pulling U-Hauls, right? Somebody had to do it just because of, the, of that, that statement. But the point is we don't get to take it with us. And I really think we're going to get there. We're not going to, we'd be glad we didn't take it with us. Why would I want this garbage up there? Um, Miss Betty has said to me, she said this at Tom's um, memorial, Tom Hewn's memorial service, and she said it to me this morning. She said, Pastor, I'm ready to go whenever the Lord wants. She said, I'm, I'm ready. And she said, sometimes I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to think, why did I try so hard to stay alive? And I think that's true. We're going to get there and go, why did I try so hard to get all that stuff? Why did I try so hard to gain that money? Why did I try so hard to keep myself? Why did I go through all of that? And God put it in us, and she even said that. God put it in us to, to desire life, to love, to, to want to live. But I'm telling you what, there's going to come a day where we're going to go, man, all that stuff I thought was important simply was not important. In the next verse, in Luke chapter 17, it simply says this, very short verse, 
Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. She couldn't let it go. She had to turn around. She had to go back for it. Lot sat at the gate of the city. That means that he was a leader in the city. Lot had compromised over and over. He went toward the city. He went in the city. went back to the city after being kidnapped. Now he sits as a leader in the city. Now I want you to think about this. When I first brought up the name Lot, or just right now, think about Lot. What comes to your mind? And what came to my mind when I first thought about Lot, and when I think about Lot, is I think about compromise. And you say, well, of course, that's what we've been talking about. But here's the thing. I don't think about open, wicked sin in his life. Right? We, we don't think, man, Lot was unfaithful to his wife. Man, Lot was out gambling. Man, Lot was out doing... We simply think of compromise. He wasn't a bad guy. Right? In fact, I believe he qualified as a righteous person there. I believe he believed in the God. He was a follower of Jehovah. He was a follower of the one true God. Maybe he thought, I could be a better provider by pitching my tent towards Sodom. Like, he had good motivation. See... I want to provide for my family. I want to give my kids more than I had. Maybe then the city, if I can get in the city, I I could give my family a better life. Kind of living out here in the country right now and all this cattle and it's hard to get to Kmart, you know. It's hard to get to Kmart anywhere now. Uh, It's hard to get to Kroger. It's It's hard to get to the butcher, you know. So we're going to get a place in town. It'll, it'll be better for our family. It will give my family a better life. After the destruction came and the four kings and the kings of the region that came and kidnapped him, maybe he returned because he said, there's a need there. The city's been destroyed and I can be a part of rebuilding this and we can build back better. <laughs> um, no, don't do that. Uh, we can build this place and we can really make it different than it used to be. Maybe then he thought, well, you know what, I can have an influence on the city. And so he's, he accepted leadership roles. Like, you know what? They, they need good leadership, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Now, are providing for your family, is, is seeing a need and wanting to help, is even accepting leadership roles in the secular world, can those be good things? Absolutely. We need more Christians that are involved in things and that are leading godly, in godly ways. Maybe Lot even thought of himself as a missionary. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go this direction with my life. I'm gonna put my kids here. I'm gonna put myself here. We're gonna go here. We're gonna do all this, and we're gonna do it because we're gonna be missionaries. We're gonna impact these places. Yet the kids and you come out compromised. We need missionaries. There's no doubt we need missionaries. There's no doubt this city of Hazel Park needs missionaries. We need missionaries in Detroit. We need missionaries in Dearborn. We need missionaries in all over the world. We need missionaries. So why did it not work out for Lot? Why was he not an impactful missionary? You see, the problem is when we come to the end of the story, Lot didn't even impact his own home very well. We'll see this next time, but his daughters had some issues, right? His, his wife couldn't let go. They, they suffered because of his great compromise. Not even his son-in-laws would follow his lead. It seems to me that he probably had plenty of good reasons 
for his decisions, but his true motivation was really selfishness. He said, well, no, I, I really, it's not for me. I really do want to do things for my family. I really do want them to have what I didn't have. Why? Because compromise was only going to harm them. We do things like that because we want the temporary satisfaction of my family's happy with me. My, my kids have the things that they want. My, my wife has what she wants. And so we justify it as I have, I've done a good thing here when really the motivation is not what's best for them. It's what will make them happy with me. It, it satisfies my desires. It satisfies my lusts. You see, even if he was trying to help, he did it without the direction from God. And he did it at the expense of those that he loved. And so let me, let me leave you with this question. If Lot could do it over, do you think he would have pitched his tent towards Sodom? Remember, it all started with that decision. He was with his godly uncle. They were friends. I think they may have been closer to the same age. Lot, uh, Abraham was younger. Lot was, uh, I believe, the son of an older brother. They were friends. They had companionship, but they allowed material possessions to come between them. They allowed what they had to come between them. And so they said, hey, let's go our separate ways. That's fine. That's fine. It's not a problem. But then he, Abraham says, you pick where you want to go. And he saw the well-watered plains, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. I think if he could do that over, he would make a different decision. I think there's probably people in this room, including myself, that we can look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have compromised that one time. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Maybe it would have had a different impact on my children. Maybe it would have had a different impact on my family. Maybe it would have had a different impact on my church. But I wanted people to like me. I wanted my kids to like me. I used to tell our youth group at Emmanuel that I felt like a bad guy all the time. I was probably the most conservative person in the in the. In, 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 one of the most conservative people in our youth group and the families. So I would, I would say, you know, hey, we've got to watch out for this sin, watch out for this. And they're like, well, my parents said it's fine. I couldn't tell you how many times I heard that. My parents said it's fine. And I used to tell them, I said, listen, um, I know you're going to get mad at me, but I want you to, more than I want you to like me right now, I want you to respect me 10 years from now. And that's hard because I am a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I want people to go, man, he's a good guy. I want kids to like me. I, I'm having the toughest time with some of these little girls around here. I try to fist bump them and they'd be like, no, no. Um, you know, I want everybody to like me. And because of that, we compromise. If Lot could do it over, you think he would have pitched his tent towards Sodom. What is it, that decision in your life? What shall we do? What decisions are you making now that you will regret? So you, you may not have an answer for that because I just sprung it on you. But let me help. Selfish and compromising choices do not lead to more godliness and greater long-term joy. Let me repeat that. Selfish and compromising choices do not lead to more godliness and greater long-term joy. Now, I, I know when, whenever you talk about compromise, people go, well, you compromised. You know, you've got that headset mic on. I, I know preachers who will not wear one of these because Madonna wore a headset mic. Now, it's a completely different kind of mic, first of all. But anyway, well, you you cannot you compromise her because you have you play the bass guitar. 
yeah, I don't do it well, uh, but I enjoy it. And I, and I think it can be help. That's not the kind of compromise I'm talking about. That's compromising traditions, not compromising truth. That's not compromising uh, God's moral law. But what do we watch on TV? What do we watch on the Internet? Where do we go? What do we drink? What do we put into our bodies? Well, we could go on and on with that. But I really believe that we need to ask the Lord to reveal to us the areas of our life that are dangerously compromised. So I want to ask you to do something. It's not going to hurt you. I promise. But I want to ask all of us to bow our heads and ask God to reveal any area of our lives that is compromised. Listen, if there's nothing there, then move on. But if there's something there, then you can choose to run away from the coming destruction or you can linger and look back. So we're just going to take a moment of silence just for you to ask God to reveal those areas in your life. musicians and song leader would come up. We're going to prepare to sing. Maybe you need to continue in prayer there. Maybe you just need to stay seated. If, if, you're, if you don't, you can stand. We're going to sing. We're going to sing a closing hymn here. But there's an invitation here that, number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, tonight is a night. I know every person in this room has heard this over and over and over and over. But it still may be that there's somebody here who's never truly been saved. If, you, if that's you, trust him today because that destruction is coming and none of us wants that for you. We don't want to see you go through hellfire and brimstone. We don't want to see you suffer for eternity. We want you to join us in heaven. If you're not saved, make tonight that night. And listen, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're a teenager, you're a young adult, you're a child, and you know that there are things in your life that are compromising, don't don't pitch your tent towards Sodom. Don't even start it. Confess those things. Repent and ask God through his strength to bring you back. Let's stand as we sing. Mm-hmm.